Welcome to this Bible Center Church Core class. We hope that this in-depth teaching of God's Word will challenge you to grow in your knowledge of Him and help you become a disciple who makes more disciples. Well, congratulations. We are on the last core class of the doctrinal series. This is the final one, and in this one, we're basically discussing different systems or ways of viewing, collecting, organizing end times thought. Uh, so there's several ones here. There's amillennialism, there's postmillennialism, there's premillennialism, and I'm going to take some time talking through each of those. Now, I'm going to have limited time to talk through them as you listen to the class, so I encourage you to go back to your book. Spend some time really thinking through them, looking up the verses, trying to figure out where you land, and even if you don't land in a particular place, understanding how someone else could land in a different place than you. Humility is a part of this process. Uh, there's no one that we should divide unity with over some of these subjects. Some of them are just really hard, and there isn't, there isn't a verse that gives incredible clarity that just says every other point of view is wrong. If that was true, we would just have one position. But there are people who have loved God and known God's Word more than you, more than me, who land in a different position than you might land or I might land. And we love them, and we'll be with them forever in eternity. And when we're in eternity, we'll know how the thing really worked out. Again, from the Old Testament, when they were waiting for Jesus to come the first time, they completely missed Him. They didn't recognize Him, and they crucified Him. The second time, if we think we're going to get it right when they got it wrong, let's just in humility say that it's going to work out exactly the way Jesus wants it to, and we're going to look at what He told us and do our best to understand it, but we really aren't going to know with absolute certainty until it actually happens. And then we'll say, oh, that's what that verse meant. Oh, that was literal, and that was figurative, or that was figurative, and that was literal. So there's a day when we will know, but it likely will not be this day. So until that day, let's take what God's given us and explore it and study it as much as we can to be as accurate as we can be on this side of heaven about, about what that side of heaven will look like. So in the following weeks, we're going to do sermons on heaven and hell, and you're going to hear those, but those topics were already discussed here in the end times when we talked about cosmic eschatology. So again, I just want to compliment you on your discipline to work through these core classes. If you've missed some, you always can go back and look at them. As you've completed each section, like this is our end times section, there's a little place where you can check a box and let me know that you completed it. Once you've completed all the boxes for all the major sections, there's 75 total core classes through about seven different sections. Once you've completed those seven to eight sections and checked all those boxes, I would love to give you a certification showing that you've completed all of our 201 Core Essentials doctrinal classes. Uh, it's a significant thing, and I want to make sure that I make it a significant moment because it's a significant thing. So congratulations if this is your last one. If not, keep working through them. I hope you in, are encouraged by this. At the end of this, my greatest hope with the end times is that you are shouting from the rooftops, come Lord Jesus, come, and you're falling more in love with Him. Enjoy this last video. Okay, so on page 31, the arguments I went over, they're right there. If you had a hard time understanding the way I was doing it, they're all right there on that chart. So I'm going to jump into page 32, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to work through this page, and it's going to feel a little unfair, because I'm going to work through the arguments for amillennialism, and I'm not going to have time to do all of them equally. Okay, because I'm going to run out of time. I'm not going to get through the next six or seven pages. So just know I presented one point of view, and I didn't get to the other point of views. But they're all there. I'm going to primarily just read these for you and talk a little bit about them. But they're all there. 
Just because I got to this one doesn't mean that this is the one I agree with or this is the one I'm expecting you to walk away believing. This is just the first one written down. That's it. Fair? Okay. Page 32. Let's go through some of the positions, positions and arguments for amillennialism. Uh, in this position, the millennium is now. You are in it now. Jesus came and proclaimed that the kingdom is here. Do you catch that when Jesus talks? He shows up and says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. And sometimes he says it's here. Like you're not waiting for it. It's here. And he says in the Great Commission, I will be with you. Therefore, his presence with you and with the church is like legit. Is different than his physical presence, which is what the premillennialist is expecting, but it's still his presence. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says that he has all authority and his very presence is already with his people. Kingdoms are ruled with power and authority. Jesus is clear that he does not lack any authority or power right now during this age where you and I are right now. He has a very real adversary, but Satan has no power over Christ. And death itself has been castrated in the wake of the victorious resurrection of Jesus. The church represents the body of Christ, and his presence is real and actual in the work and presence of the Holy Spirit, also referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. The millennium is figurative in length. It's considered a figure of speech from their point of view. 2 Peter 3.8 is that one where it says, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. The great tribulation and destruction can be found throughout history and all over the earth. From the early church and the persecution of Nero to brothers and sisters today in Muslim countries being tortured and killed for their faith. Again, I mentioned this Friday night. From this point of view, um, from let's go this way. From our point of view as being Americans in an age where, yeah, there's a little bit of a rub to be a Christian. People don't love it when you tell them they're a Christian but we're not being shot for being Christians. We're not being stoned for being Christians. There are countries in the world right now where if you claim publicly to be a Christian, your life expectancy drops from being 50, 60, 70 years old to the next 30 days. You probably have less than 30 days to live. So when they're reading through Revelation, they're hearing that there's a tribulation coming. How can that tribulation be worse than the fact that they themselves and those they know who have professed Christ, who have already been killed, like, for them, they're not sure if they're going to make it to dinner without being stoned to death. Like, it doesn't get worse than that. There's not like some looming tribulation that they're nervous about. They're nervous about that moment. For them, tribulation feels like it's now. The premillennialist would say, well, it's a worldwide tribulation, not just a localized tribulation. So that would be the, the response of the premillennialist. But for some people, it feels like it can't get any worse from their point of view and what they're experiencing. At the end of the age of the church, Jesus will return. Unbelievers will be resurrected to judgment. Believers will be resurrected to receive both new bodies in a life with God in a new heavens and a new earth. So if you look at the top there, that, uh, the graphic, all that stuff from their point of view happens all at the same time. So when it talks about the day of the Lord, like the concept there from their point of view is all those things happen on the day of the Lord. The consummation of all those things happen together in one moment, boom, right there at the end of this symbolic millennium that we're in presently right now. Um, this position would hold that we are in the last days, and many of the prophecies of the Old Testament have already been fulfilled. Acts 2, 16 through 21. This is interesting. 
Peter references the prophecy from Joel chapter 2, where Joel references the last days. He says there'll be visions, there'll be prophecy, there'll be dreams, there'll be great wonders in the sky and signs on the earth, blood, fire, smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Peter refers to all these things as being fulfilled in Christ's coming at the moment of Pentecost. Typically, when you go through Joel, you think this sounds like something in a tribulation, like near the very end of the age. Peter reads those same words and says, that's what just happened. So he looks at Joel as being fulfilled, where most of the time we would look at those types of words and that type of language in the Old Testament and assume that has something to do with what is to come. Peter, who's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, says this refers to what has just come in Jesus. So that language, which we would usually say is language that describes something the world has never seen, Peter says, no, like, we just saw it. That was seen in the person of Jesus, okay? So we just have to be aware of that. Tongues of fire came from heaven. Men are speaking in other languages. Wonders and signs have been fulfilled in the miracles of Jesus, and more would continue with the apostles. At the death of Jesus, the sky was darkened. At the same time, Jesus had bled and died. So possibly, this concept of the moon turning to blood can be seen in that concept, in that picture of what happened to Jesus himself. Paul alerts the Romans to recognize the moment. Do this, knowing the time that is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. So Paul has this feeling of like, it's going to come any moment. So from Paul's point of view, it's not like all these things need to happen. And then Jesus comes. Paul's point of view is it could happen at any moment. The day is near any moment. Uh, from their point of view, tribulation is already upon them. Romans 12, 12 talks about preserving in tribulation. So Paul tells the Romans that they need to persevere in tribulation. Not a fear of a future tribulation, but you're in it you have to persevere through it. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it talks about in these last days. Like he was talking about those days being the last days. Like 2,000 years ago, he called those the last days, meaning we are still in those last days. Uh, Jesus the judge is standing at the door. So the concept there is just a simple pull of the handle, and here he is. 1 Peter 1.20 says the coming of Christ has ushered in the last days. So just his very coming says we are near the last days. Okay, let me jump to page 34. So here's some arguments against amillennialism. So from my point of view, and this is just my point of view, I think postmillennialism, which we, we're not going to get to, is probably the hardest one biblically to land on. I think post-millennialism is the hardest one. So I could read those arguments, but it's just a really hard one. I mean, I love Jonathan Edwards. The guy is amazing. I, I love him. But he doesn't talk much about post-millennialism, but he's amazing. But I think that's a really hard one. I think amillennialism has some really good arguments to counter some of the premillennial points of view, but here are some arguments against amillennialism. Most of them I covered with all the blue on the board. So most of the arguments against amillennialism came from all the blue points of view. Like if you view Revelation as being more literal, then everything that Revelation says discredits amillennialism. This concept of a thousand years being a thousand years, amillennialism just died. It's that simple. 
Okay? So <clears throat> if you hold that point of view, it kills amillennialism. Uh, amillennialism leaves no room for Israel and the viable interpretations of Roman ele Romans 11. Romans 11, it talks about this fact that, and we don't totally know what this means, but it talks about the fact that all of Israel will be saved. And it appears to be ethnic Israel, that there's a day yet to come where Israel will still come back to the Lord. There was a period of time where it was Israel, the Gentiles were grafted in to the same tree, but then there's a day when Israel will be, will be regrafted in, and it looks like ethnic Israel will be grafted back in. I don't totally understand it, you don't totally understand it, and we're not going to until it happens, and even then we're going to be like, what's happening? But it seems like that's something that's going to happen. Amillennialism does not handle that very well. They don't really have a category for it, so that's a struggle. Um, there is a lack of interpretive consistency throughout Scripture. When are you literal? When are you going to be symbolic? So with the amillennialist, like I talked about the pendulum that swung, if you take symbolism into the parables, the parables fall apart. Okay? The parables fall apart, so we just have to be careful with that. Uh, the chronology, or what seems to be the chronology of Revelation 19 through 20, like events that are happening one after another, which seems to be the case, that starts to crumble when it all becomes symbolic. So an argument against amillennialism is, why does it seem like there seems to be events compiling on top of events in Revelation 19 and 20 if it's all symbolic and there's not this sequence of events? So that's really hard for amillennialists. Another argument would be, amillennials take a very difficult and unnatural view of Revelation. Of course, the amillennialist says the premillennialist takes an unnatural view of Revelation, so that's I mean, they would say the same thing about one another. But as you and I read through Revelation 20, it just said a thousand years, a thousand years, a thousand years. It just would, I don't know. The point of view against the amillennialists is it seems awkward for them to keep saying a thousand years when he doesn't mean a thousand years. The nation of Israel and the church are not treated as distinct, though they are mentioned with distinction in the New Testament. Another struggle for the amillennialist. Okay? So those are the main points of that. Let me land this with a couple thoughts. On Friday night, we talked about this. I think this is still the best way of understanding this. We are given a lot of different pieces for understanding the end times. Like if you took a huge puzzle, dumped it all into the middle of the table, you see a lot of pieces. Now, you can take one piece and another piece, and they maybe don't connect at all, and you're just like, how do these fit? How do these fit? You and I may never know how those two pieces fit together until we get to the other side of heaven. Because you and I can see the pieces, but none of us get to see the top of the puzzle box. When you put together a puzzle, if somebody takes the puzzle box away from you, you've got no shot. Presently, you and I are not going to see the top of the puzzle box. So it is okay if you and I struggle and come to different points of view on the end times. This conversation is very different than whether or not Jesus was the Son of God. That is a live or die conversation. You will or will not go to heaven, depending on whether you believe he was or was not the Son of God. This stuff, Jesus is not going to be standing at the door of the heaven, of heaven, with a little, you know, notepad saying, let me know where you fell on the end time stuff. I'll let you know if you get in or not based upon where you land. He's not going to do that to you. He's not. So just by nature of the topic, this is not a core issue. It's totally fine to discuss. It's really fun to debate. But don't get so caught up in this that you miss the beauty of the core things. Okay, does that make sense? Do you see that? Don't miss out on the beauty of the core things. Just by nature, and I love that you're here, 
but I have twice as many people coming to talk about the end times than that came to talk about the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's okay that you did come or didn't come to those, but just remember what the core things are. And let's get really excited about the core things. Uh, I mean, I can relate to you. Do you remember, do you remember the Harry Potter books came out? They were big books. Like if, maybe some of you purchased all, what, eight of them? What I did is I waited until the eighth book came out. I walked up and for free opened up the back, read the last chapter. I'm like, oh, so that's what happens. Closed it and put it back down. Okay, so I didn't buy any of them. I didn't spend my time reading any of them. I just read the last chapter because I was interested in how the whole thing turned out. That's our tendency, isn't it? Like, oh, I mean, that's our tendency. So I'm doing this thing at these discipleship groups right now. And one of the questions we're, we're working through is, what have you studied and taught up to this point so that we can decide what your next step is in learning more about the Bible? The number one book that people had studied and taught was the book of Revelation. Not John, not Romans, not Ephesians. Like they studied and taught Revelation before they taught any other book. That's scary. That's scary. Like typically that's the 66th book that you teach. Because it only makes sense usually once you have the other 65 down pretty well. And even then, you're looking at pieces without looking at the top of the puzzle box. Okay, so we just have to make sure we're just careful. I want us to be a humble people, okay, who know where our limits are. God intentionally made this very unclear. We don't know how much is literal. We don't know how much is symbolic. There are people much smarter than all of us who land in different positions on this, and it's okay for us to say, I'm not totally sure where this works out. Okay, we have historical leanings here at this church, which is great. Certain things land in our doctrinal statement. That's fine. But no one's going to make it or break it, depending on your point of view, on some of these smaller end time points of view. Remember, the things we agree on, Jesus is coming back. It could be any moment, any day. It will be sudden. It is imminent. And when he comes back, you're going to receive a new body, a body where you'll be able to see him face to face now and forever. It changes everything. So that, that thing that you see throughout the Old Testament, where you see the Old Testament uh, believers saying, I just want to see your face. Can I see your face? The Psalm, one, Psalm 67, he says, make your face shine upon us. Moses in Exodus 33 says, can I just look at you? And God lets him see his back. But there's a day where you and I get more than his back. We see him face to face. We're made to be like him, in that we're given bodies that will exist forever without sin. And in those bodies, we get to see him face to face forever. You'll be there. I'll be there. There's going to be a big feast. Your favorite food will probably be on the table. It's the wedding feast between the bride and the groom. You and I are betrothed to him forever. It's beyond comprehension. So when we talk about end times, okay, I would rather you spend time thinking about that than going out and watching another one of those movies, okay? Where everybody gets taken away and the cars crash. That's fine, but get more excited about seeing him face to face, okay, than watching that Cameron kid in another movie, all right? That's where I'd rather us go and where I'd rather us land. Um, so let's keep the main thing the main thing. Can I pray this out? Father, thank you so much for each person here. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you made certain things clear on purpose and you made them so clear Jesus, you are above all, you're in all, you're through all, you created all. And forever we get to sit in your glory face to face with you. But Lord, some of these other things, you've made them very unclear. And if we go in believing that we've got all the answers and everyone else is wrong, how scary is that? So give us humility. Give us an excitement to be with one another 
forever in your presence. May that be the greatest thing that gives us hope each and every day. May that motivate us to share the gospel. May that motivate us to be a part of the Great Commission in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, each and every day. So Lord, uh, have your face be the thing that we chase. In Christ's name, amen.